Podcast world, what's up? Chad Belding coming at you with another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. The response thus far has been awesome for us. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the first three episodes. Please subscribe to the podcast. And when you do that, go on there and leave us a rating and a review. Write something down. Be like, I love their voice. I could just imagine what they're dressed in. They're probably dressed really cool. Wearing a fanny pack. You know how we roll, wearing Vans, probably a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. Just judge us, but judge us well. Leave a great review so when people go on there and read it, they're like, this is a really good podcast based on these reviews, kind of like Rotten Tomatoes. On today's episode, we're coming at you from the lodge at Take em Outfitters. It's right up uh, northeast of Edmonton in the great province of Alberta in the great country of Canada. In duck country, goose country, where the migration pretty much begins. This is where a lot of Americans from the continental United States, the lower 48, migrate north to begin their waterfowl season as the birds start to descend and migrate south to, you know, travel down those corridors, whether it's the Pacific or the Central or the Mississippi or the Atlantic Flyway. We're in Alberta. This place is unbelievable. We experienced an awesome mallard hunt today, and not just the mallard hunt that you normally see in Canada, which is usually over peas or over wheat or some kind of barley. Today was over water. We got to put a water rig out, floating decoys, mojos on floaters. We had a dog swimming. We had a great panel blind built into the side of this little cattle pond, this farm pond, and we disappeared. So on the show today, coming at you live from the Take Em Outfitters Lodge in Alberta, Canada, is the owner and operator. You guys have heard him here before. You actually have never heard him on The Foul Life. You've heard him on This Life Ain't For Everybody. Clay Charlton is here. On my right is my brother, Clay Belding, who was on the hunt this morning. And on my right as well is my good buddy, Joe McMullen, a.k.a. Joe Mack, a.k.a. Joe Joe. He is the man in the great town of Indianapolis, Indiana, where the great Larry Bird was born close to in French Lick. So with these three joining me today, we're going to talk about what we experienced today. We're going to talk a little bit about what Joe Joe does in car racing, what Clay's seen so far with the migration up here in, in Canada and Alberta. And we'll talk to Clay about how he felt today about his duck calling on that new jargon, loudmouth and small talk. We'll talk a little bit more about how awesome and fluent and authentic we truly sounded so my goal is to not talk as much as i have so far and let these three gentlemen do the rest clay charlton i was just gonna say what clay here we mr <laughs> mr take him himself are you excited that we're here and be honest i don't want you to just blow a lot of smoke like you do when you're selling those el caminos yeah it's it's always good to have you up here chad and boys um yeah 2019 has been a real kick in the pants up here it's started off hot and uh you know, the migration was uh, right on par as far as timeline goes there. The, the field, the harvesting was a little slow this year due to the moisture and, and uh, the, the late September we had. But uh, other than that, the birds were on par and uh, we stepped up to the plate and we held our, uh, we held our A game on there. And uh, well, here we are. We're winding down to the season now. We're in the, the late side of the season and, uh, you know, we're getting into those tighter hides and, and whatnot. And, yeah, today we did a we did a, a water shoot today, which was very interesting, um, and actually one of new our to first. You, huh? Yeah, it was it was definitely new to us. I got wet today because <laughs> you didn't have waders. <laughs> you should have waders. Do you own waders? I don't. Ha- I do not have waders. And you own a waterfowl outfitter. Yeah. Water fowl. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to the dry field. You got that right. <laughs> what uh? 
it's usually September is when most of the harvest comes off, you're saying? Yeah, like, for example, the pea fields around here usually are complete by the first week of September at the latest. Um, this year, they're still combining peas, and it's already the second week of October. Just because you had early snow or something yeah. to get the wet fields? We had extremely wet summer, um, extremely wet, and actually one of the wettest summers I can ever remember in my whole life. So we had a lot of growth and everything. The antler growth is extremely well. Uh, the hatch was extremely well on our ducks and, and geese for the locals, but uh, the harvest was definitely late by two to three weeks. And uh, that being said, you know, there's a lot of yellow fields still standing in the area. Um, uh, as of last week, I bet you it was 50% still standing in a field. So uh, that made uh, waterfowl hunting a little more challenging. We didn't have the number of fields that we normally hunted and the birds grouped up more in the, the fields that were harvested. So um you know we got underneath them more consistent in the same fields but our results were always the same uh 100 and uh, a lot of happy hunters and uh, when you say that you're that what i was telling joe when i talked to him this summer and we were at the indy 500 we'll get into that in a minute but you have i think it was 44 days in a row or something to where your hunters were successful in morning shoots of filling or fulfilling their eight-man limit of canadas or darts which can include specs in alberta you get a lot of specs here, and from what I've been told, there's been a lot of young juvie specs this season. And you can kill eight ducks, which a lot of mallards are in this area, but I've killed sprig here, I've killed widgeon here. But you can kill 16 birds a man, that doesn't even start in on your snows. And you had something like 40 or 44 days in a row of eight-man limits on both each morning? Yeah, it's uh, been really good. It's uh, we've, been, we've been at her hard, and, uh, you know, get up there. We like to put them down if we can in the first morning, shoot, if you will. You don't have to hunt them twice a day. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. The birds have been strong. The birds are still strong. Um, the ducks are really grouped up right now. And uh, as you've seen this morning, that duck duck shoot was world class in your face with a bunch of bell peppers. With what? With bell peppers? Bell peppers. Joe, have you ever heard anybody call a mallard drake a bell pepper? No, I never have, but this exchange rate thing has just got me all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard a lot of this stuff that you heard this morning? <laughs> no, this is a lot of new stuff to me. I. A lot of new jargon, oh, as my friend uh, Chad Belding calls it. Hey, Joe, you're in your you're 60, 60, you're somewhere in... 62. You're your young man, but this is your first time hunting waterfowl. With as much as you love ducks and geese and chase them in America, this is your first time ever hunting waterfowl in Canada? That's correct. Have you been to Canada before for anything? Yes. Fishing? Mm, yes, I've been here fishing, been here to some uh, dog hunting events, HRC events, uh, but never... Never been here hunting before. So when you and Mark are getting ready for this trip, is are you at 62 years old? Do you still get that level of excitement? Do you still feel it? Um, do you still get that way for opening day in America? And did you have it when you knew you were coming up here in October of 19? Yeah, absolutely. I you know, I, I, I love the sport. No matter, you know, it's just like I told you today, it's not all just about killing. It's about just meeting new people like Clay and meeting your brother Clay first time and, uh, it's just a lot, just the camaraderie and, and the conversation and the joking and kidding and everything that goes with it in the blind. It's it's fun. I mean, the the, the killing of the birds is, uh, uh, or what it, bell peppers is uh, something. Uh, it's a Louisiana saying. It's a uh, Cajun country. Okay. Well, that's that's all that's all just a bonus. Did he just say that we're in Cajun country? Uh, yeah. It's the exchange thing. He gets all messed up. The morning is 
p.m. here yeah. and <laughs> 2 p.m. We're going to go out. We're going to go out uh, in the afternoon at 11 a.m. Yeah, I shot that bird at 11 a.m. in the afternoon. In the afternoon, yeah. yeah. It was weird. So it, it it it'd be all right. I'll figure it out by the time I get back to Minneapolis. So what do you think today, though? Are you having? It's it's pretty cool a water hole hunt, huh? Oh yeah, it's real cool. I I mean the country's neat. I've never seen anything uh, quite like the area here. The landscape, the you know the people all been great so far and lots and lots of birds i was going to ask clay this about you do this for a living guiding right do you you go from ducks and geese to deer usually yeah. that's your deal so is duck hunting in your opinion you know fun more fun than deer hunting because deer hunters they just go out and sit in a blind for 10 hours waiting for a deer to come out of the bush but with us you got or any, not just us, but any of your groups, five, eight right. people cracking jokes. Oh, yeah, no. The waterfowl hunting is definitely way more hands-on and way more personal with your customers. Uh, you know, you make a real long-term relationships with our waterfowl customers. Um, we've had guys here, multiple groups that have been with us 10, 12 years and uh, still running. But, uh, you know, the waterfowl hunting is, you know, we love it. We look forward to that day it comes here. We can't sleep for a week before it gets here. But you know, we're excited to put the decoys away by the time we're in 50 days deep and uh, get ready to chase some big bones. Would you would you chase them south if you didn't run an operation for mule deer? Would you hunt here 60 days or whatever it is, 45 days? Would you run them south and keep hunting them? You know, that's a tough question. I'm gonna have a I have a hard time getting away from whitetail when it's November, but uh, you'd have to have waders. Yeah, you'd have to have waders. <laughs> I would think for sure. But yeah, I'd probably end up my, myself. I'd be I've been a whitetail hunter for a long, long time. So November to me, it's in my blood DNA. It's it's when that snow starts falling, I like to be in the timber somewhere looking at some some whitetail somewhere in the North America. So obviously, each season has its own benefits or its own feeling or, you know, the the emotional part of it right yeah you have you do wolves you do predators you do mule deer you do whitetail you do ducks and geese yeah we don't do the mule deer we just do everything else you don't do mule deer no so you just that because there's no mule deer in your in your areas right here yeah we don't have the quality to sell to a customer um and i don't got time to go chase them outside the waterfowl uh season so we just focus we put 110 percent in our waterfowl and we wouldn't put that to bed we put 110 percent in our whitetail so not depending on money or the revenue or the profit margin based on each hunt or per per client that you bring in here. If the Canadian government came to Clay Charlton and said, starting in the 2021 season, you cannot guide for multiple species anymore. You have to pick one. You can have whitetail, you can have waterfowl, or you can have wolves. What do you pick to guide for the rest of your career? Oh, I, that's a that's an easy one. I'd definitely stick with my waterfowl. That's, that's our... Uh... That's our that's our living right there. That's our blood. Really? That's what we started in. Yeah. Yes, sir. Fourteen years. Why ago. do you love it so much? I just always done it in my life. I love watching the transition from them uh, brown ducks rolling into the green heads. Um, I love the challenge of from the early season to the late season and and getting underneath them and putting them in at the end of your barrels. You know, it keeps everybody. You know plays the game and you got to play the game right to make it successful and uh and it's not always about having big numbers on the ground it what makes it successful sometimes it's about having a half a dozen birds you know that morning but how you got them was the best part of it you know it's they just did it or you did it right however you want to work yeah i could i could tell that you thoroughly enjoy it and i don't know how much you get to shoot or that you shoot at all in the you know before we get up here with your other clients that yeah. are paying. I shoot and, often. And so to see your face this morning, like 
it was awesome because I haven't shot a duck in over, you know, since last season. Right. Wow. And That's you, right. It's your and first duck. <laughs> you have been hunting them for 45 days and haven't really got to do yeah. a lot of shooting and to see your face this yeah. morning. Oh, yeah. With how much hunting you do have already done this year, it was like a kid in a candy store again. Yeah, and you got, you know, 50... To be able to shoot. 50 mallards coming down on top of you at, at mere 15 feet away, you know, and the sun hitting them in the, in the early morning, I'll tell you what, it's as good as it gets. That's, what do you think those mallards are doing in that pond before they go to the feed? They, they just, come off the big roots. It's a staging come, area. But why? I, I, I have my reasons why. Why do you think they do it? I talked to Huck about it last night as we were scouting them. I have my theory of it, of why they would leave big water to go to little water, to go to whatever the agriculture, the crop is that they're eating that day. I'm pretty sure they're thirsty. So they couldn't drink the big water? No, I don't. You know. So by the time um, they leave the big water and get to the little water, you're saying they need a drink? Yeah, no, I just, uh, they, uh, ducks are an interesting little uh, bird, that's for sure. They, boy, if you can get a dugout slew. Uh, pothole anywhere near their feeding ground it seems like they just bounce back and forth and it's consistently steady throughout their morning feed or their evening feed so um they just like water getting their feet wet during the you know go feed for 10 minutes come back to the little water hole go back to the field for 10 minutes that's what makes duck hunting up here so entertaining and it's so action-packed when you get on a good duck hunt it's non-stop reload shoot them up and uh you know it, it can happen very quick but they like to come back and forth from that little water to the field you know, every 15, 10, 15 minutes. Was, you, uh, was, not to interrupt here, but something that Clay said a minute ago to the other Clay is uh, you could tell how excited he was. You know, another way you could tell how excited he was today is how many times did you have to tell him to sit down in the blind? <laughs> it was like, hey, Clay, sit Both down. Of them. Hey, Clay, Both sit Clay's. down. Both hey, Clay, sit down. Annoying. Yeah, he was up. He was wanting to see it all. He didn't well, want I'm to miss sh- anything. I'm short. I can't see over those. No, I don't. <laughs> every time I looked down there, that clay was standing up. I know he was. <laughs> it's like, my a, job a, is, like a whack-a-mole. Yeah, my job is to keep eyes on the birds, you know, and I'm usually always making sure that everybody's knowing what side they're coming on, left side, front side, you know, high or low, or if they're working or if they're cupped up, you know, so it's it's a habit you get into. But, uh, no, it was a great shoot with a good bunch of guys this morning, and we're really looking forward to uh, our uh, morning shoot tomorrow on big wings and greenheads. It's, uh, it's a mixed bag tomorrow morning. While all you experts are here, I got a question for you as a as an amateur waterfowl hunter. Hmm. I don't know who you're talking to when you say experts. Okay. The the East Coast, Maryland, uh Chesapeake Bay, all places like that were really rich if you look back in the history of waterfowl, really rich. I mean, the waterfowl hunting there was phenomenal, phenomenal. And does it seem to you guys like the entire flyway all the flyways the the Atlantic, the Mississippi, all of them are moving to the west, shifting. Does it seem that way to you guys? Because it certainly seems that way with the waterfowl hunting I do around Indiana, um, Michigan, that way. It seems like the birds get a little bit farther west every year. Is that is that something that I'm imagining or what? I mean, from what I personally don't hunt there a lot, but what I when you talk to people around different areas it's all because of agriculture that midwest corridor that kansas all through there they're planting almost not really reserves but they're planting and farming for ducks where that never really used to happen mm-hmm. so now they're 
putting in all the corn, the you know, the peas. I don't the know meals. if it's farming for ducks. I mean, there are certain landowners that can afford it or choose to turn their land into habitat for wildfowl, including waterfowl. But I just think that there's a lot of corn growth that when you start to get west of, you know, western Minnesota, Iowa, you start to move into the Dakotas and Kansas, Nebraska, even into Montana, Washington, Oregon. The duck hunting along the Columbia River, the Snake River Corridor, down the I-5 Corridor, the Willamette Valley, all of Oregon, there's amazing waterfowl hunting in there. I honestly think that if you take the Missouri River Corridor starting in North Dakota down the Mississippi Corridor as it gets down towards Arkansas, I would still bet that the majority of the puddle ducks follow that corridor. I think that Arkansas Arkansas is probably still killing more mallard ducks than any state in America. Um, but I have, I wouldn't, I would not argue that. I mean, Oklahoma is unbelievable. Kansas is unbelievable. The panhandle of Texas is awesome. Has it always been that way or it just never was publicized? I don't or know. I mean, think about. think about this question, Joe. Name another place in the world besides Canada, maybe. But okay, the, just another place in where we live in the continental United States, the lower 48. Name another place where people travel to hunt ducks and geese. Besides Stuttgart, Arkansas, people fly into Little Rock or into the private, you know, into the little airport there in Stuttgart to hunt mallard ducks. They come from all over the world. I've seen people in the Rich and Tone shop and the Max Prairie Wings in Stuttgart. I've seen people from all over the world in European countries, Asia, Asia, all over the place come to Arkansas to hunt ducks. Name another place that's like that. Can you think of another destination? That, what, the one that you said before, the Chesapeake Bay and the Eastern Shore, was very heritage, had a lot of heritage, a lot of tradition. But, I mean, you can only kill one goose a year there. But Sometimes I two. But I didn't, I, my point is it didn't used to be that way. It used, that was a commercial. I mean, that's my point. There was enough birds there uh, in the past that it was a commercial hunting thing. I mean, they used to hunt there out of the, out of the boats with the punt guns and things like that and kill just... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of birds. Mark, yeah, but market it, There's not that much. It, it's there's not that many birds there anymore. I mean, that's my point. Is it all moving to the west? Because you know, I started. Well, there's no, there's not very many birds anywhere. Where in the Chesapeake Bay? I don't think there's as many birds on the east coast. We talked to uh, Mark and I talked to uh, a guy in the airport the other day. Said that they can in uh, East Coast. I think Virginia. He said they can only kill three geese a season. I no. think it's one goose a day in, in Maryland now, and I think they just dropped it to one or two mallards. But it, that's my point. How did, how did so much heritage start there if there were regulations like that? I mean, it's like the numbers aren't there anymore. It doesn't seem like the numbers of birds aren't there anymore, and they are in places like Nebraska and Oklahoma and stuff. It's just like everything, um, you know, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm all wrong. Maybe I'm imagining it, but it just no, seems like everything. I don't like think every, you're wrong at all. I think, I think everything's shifted. Combination of factors. I, I mean, mainly food, I would imagine. They're, they're so you're saying from the East Coast over. I, I just think the whole thing shifted west. I think the birds that used to fly the Mississippi are still on the Mississippi, but they're on the west side of the Mississippi. They're not in Illinois. They're not in eastern Kentucky, eastern Tennessee. Uh, I don't know. Is Louisiana still as strong as it always was? Not Mississippi? Last, no. No, it's, no. It's I mean, bit. I think all those places are way down. But I think you take, then you add Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, Western Missouri is. I mean, how many thousand, hundred thousand birds does Western Missouri hold at certain times? You know, and did it always? 
It's a good question. Agriculture is definitely growing across the board, and as the agriculture grows, the birds got more to feed, less distance to fly. So it definitely has a big value on on where they end up come wintertime. You know, bird, for example, birds in here in Alberta, they will not leave unless there's two factors: a they run out of water, it gets froze, or b they run out of food, which they don't generally never run out of food. So it's, theoretically, if that water would stay open. You, you know, Unless there's have, a huge snowstorm, right? Have, even food a, gets covered up. Yeah, they still hang out, though. I mean, you know, I've seen them here in late November. I've shot ducks right into the end of sem- uh, the, um, this season, which is December 16th here in Alberta. And, uh, you know, and there's a foot of snow out there, and they're still digging holes and going at it. But uh, as long as the water stays open, there's, there's always birds here. And, you know, as you f- go further south from here, the agriculture has definitely expanded as as is why we have the migration we do here today is because, you know, we lost a lot of timber turned into agriculture and the birds just, it's their first landing fields that they see right out of the Arctic Circle. So they, you know, they, they stick out here. And so, yeah, that agriculture to me is a huge, that food is number one, you know, so as you go south, the agriculture is growing worldwide. And, and there's way more hunting pressure in the south, south of here though. Oh yeah. A lot more yeah. pressure. Like if you think about the number of hunters, that you're talking about in like places like whether it's Missouri from Kansas City down to the Boot Hill, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. That's probably the majority of your duck hunters in the country, right? California has more duck hunters in the field than any other state year after year, but that's like the only state out west that has those kind of numbers. The rest of those numbers are Minnesota, Iowa, Arkansas, Missouri, Louisiana, uh who am I missing? Um, did I say Mississippi? But if you think about that, that might have something to do with it too. Every time, every year, those ducks are going down that corridor, they're getting more and more hunting pressure. And then with the, you know, with what's going on up in like Northern Missouri with the, you know, the people that are doing what they're doing up there and they have every right to do it. You know, there's a lot of hunting pressure that's up there now because of corn, flooded corn, things of that nature. So that might have something to do with it too, is the amount of people, you know, trying to chase ducks in that area i just i I sometimes think too and i've never i've never done it consistently but the the snow goose or the snow geese eating the mallards out of house and home i mean and on that mississippi flyway i mean because i mean there are there's so many factors that would go into it yeah yeah i mean there are bunches and bunches that hunting for the snow geese up and down the mississippi is that's turned into a business all its own that doesn't even you don't even have to include the other waterfowl stuff in there. I mean, the springtime snow goose hunting is unbelievable up and down the Mississippi. You know, I mean, up into March, isn't that where they're at now on some of that stuff? There's yeah, a, I mean, you can go into you can go back up into Saskatchewan and Alberta. I don't know if Alberta has a spring season, but yeah. Saskatchewan does. Yeah, we and do. that's in the middle of April and May. Yeah. So There's, I mean, are they eating? Are they is, is is the battle for food just become so? Are they having an effect on the food source where the birds are saying, "Hey, we we'll just go a little west of here. It's a lot more food." And I mean, another factor, one I'm guess kind of guessing at is up there in the Chesapeake Bay, New York, is there so much growth there that it's taken out however many fields that there used to be, right? right? So now they just learned, okay, well, we can't go there. There's not enough food to support us during those cold winters. And another point of farming practices is they're starting to not, a lot of birds aren't going as many as there were to Arkansas. Because why do they go to Stuttgart? The rice. The rice, correct? And that's what everything goes there. And they go into the trees for protection, okay? But the farming practices and the the equipment, there's not enough, there's not 
as much rice being left in the fields because the Too farming practices have been so efficient, efficient. the birds get down there and go, well, where's my food? You bet. Right. And so now they're, they're staying north yeah. or they're getting down there and go, well, there's nothing to go back north or head further into Louisiana or wherever it is because the, the farmers are getting so good that they, the bushel, you know, they don't, a, they don't leave the food in the farm. So they don't have any food, even if they get there. That's a well said statement, Clay. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> we track, we track and hunt and live with these birds for 50 days consistently out of a season we uh we run you know a million acres up here we run on and uh, we watch from every walk of life piece of equipment that's ever made new equipment old equipment uh you know and uh you get into fields and as a guide an outfitter a waterfowler you'll notice that some fields some farmers have it down to a science with these new pieces of equipment when they're done that field you don't find nothing on that ground so i mean you can have a pea field that's right off the biggest roost you can you know find up in this area and there is there's no value to it because they are so efficient with those machines that there's nothing left in that field you might get a shoot out of it a season you know but it's a one shoot and it's a done deal them birds there's nothing left in them for eat so they just jump over to the next barley field or the next oat field uh you know but these these new combines they're making a difference in waterfowl hunting and we see that and we talk about it up here you know in in the back rooms we i i know that you know that's well said too i mean i have experienced that personally i mean around where we're at uh, um, i have access probably to ten thousand acres of farm ground right around there that i hunt and i can tell you which farmers take the time to set the combine correctly run just a tenth of a mile an hour slower don't spill when they're putting it into wagons i can tell you the ones that do a good job and the ones that leave a lot on the ground and thank goodness for the ones that don't do a real good <laughs> job because that's them. where you that's the field you want to go you on know in, you know that and you i can right. yeah, i can tell you exactly which i know whose fields you bet who leaves stuff and who doesn't and, and you know it's the difference between being real good at what you do and and just right. getting it and, done and as an outfitter how knowing though knowing that you know and you see those birds stage up in a pea field that yeah. has has food yeah how how often i mean how do you how often or how long can you let those build up for two days? Because yeah. if, they, if you leave them too long, oh, they they're going to eat it out. And if, if you pick the wrong day, yep. you go it's there gone. the next day, they're not yep. coming in. You take so. it on the chin. There's, there's fields up here that, you know, you can shoot them fields. Every three days, there's 3,000 3, birds coming into it every, every morning, every evening, twice a day. Um, and they can eat them out. You know, some of the older pieces of equipment, they're not designed. That's why these peas up in our neck of the woods are uh, a new new, new uh, industry of farming in the last 10 years. We didn't have the equipment 15 years ago to harvest peas. Now, central Saskatchewan, I mean, they've been there for eons. They had, you know, their equipment down there was a lot more advanced. They were bigger farmers. They could afford all this stuff. But up here where we are, we're kind of still in the bush line. So these agriculture fields are slowly growing into big agriculture ground where guys are running these big big combines the big john deers the big uh new hollands and uh you know but you can see the difference even i can tell you theoretically up here now i can roll into a field and tell you if a john deere combined it or no holland has just the quality of how what's in that field is left in there the green stuff doesn't leave as much food on the ground does it i don't know if i should say what one's worse or what one's better but i can tell you the difference that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. Uh, Let's leave it quiet, just in case one of them wants to come on as a partner someday. That's right. And they'll what have if you to pick the wrong one. Yeah, they'll have to call and talk to us about that. And Jojo, you thinking ahead? 
I'll, I'll be real quiet. It's a good question. It's a, it's one of those things where you wonder like, are they shifting West or has Kansas and Oklahoma been that good for as long as people remember? Because I know Hunter, like Barney Califf used to film in Oklahoma and just have amazing hunts before we started going there. So we'd really have to look back or go talk to somebody around there. But here's one thing that's also that I think about is like the, the amount of revenue that's in outfitting and how many outfitters are in these states now. It'd be interesting study to see how many were there 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, how many outfitters were even up here. When, when did Americans really start coming to Canada? You, I mean, you would think that they'd been coming here for years, but I really think that the big push to come to Canada to hunt migratory waterfowl was as, as late as 1990 to where we're at to the present. Oh, yeah. I don't even know if the 80s or the 70s or the 60s. I never heard my dad no. or any of his friends say, hey, we're getting ready for our yearly trip to Canada. But once Tim Grounds and those guys started making a couple videos that were filmed up here and then outdoor TV got bigger, you know, you I, I think I don't know if there was a lot of, of people coming to Canada. I don't know how many outfitters were in Kansas at one time. I can name 10 of them that are there right now. Same with Nebraska, same with North Dakota, yep. South Dakota, Oklahoma. There's so many outfitters in Oklahoma and Texas now make your head spin. So there's a lot of pressure, I think, of people making revenue and 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 that's their right to do so as long as they're ethical and legal about it yeah um think about that though that the the access now to where you can you can pay somebody to take you out if you're a big guy in dallas which has probably three or four million people in it and you want to go hunt ducks in texas you can find an outfitter to take you out to go find success right where as i bet you in the 80s and stuff it wasn't that readily available to go and find maybe it was the duck commander video series that made it real popular you know they started going to texas a bunch so i don't know there's a lot of study there of when did waterfowl hunting become this you know this thing that outfitters were going to pop up and make it i know there's market hunting back in the day Mm -hmm. but how long has it been to where all of these outfitters have been doing what they're doing and that and 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 let's not forget though that there's only two, two point two, two and a half million duck hunters in the world. Right. So it's like the lowest demographic of licensed hunters. So there's not there there might not be that many people hunting ducks as we think. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the the answers to these questions of why birds are moving, why flyways are shifting, what 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 are the details that go into right. all that. There's another side to that what you were talking about, the Dallas guy going to hunt if he doesn't have the gear and the stuff you know, all the stuff he can just go pay and be on a field. The other side of that is the guy who can't afford any of that, but the outfitter goes to all the land where and leases up that land, right? Yeah. And says, I have all the rights. Yeah. And now the average guy who can't, can't afford to it. go with a guy can't do it. That's where So there's there's a fine yeah. line because the guy has a right to make a business, earn right. earn a living and stuff. Yeah. So where's there's there's a lot of little intricacies yeah. in that in the We're hunting and up in here in Alberta. See, that's we can't do that. We can't lease we can't lease landing land to hunt. We can't lock it down in any way, shape, or form. Uh, far as uh, that's because yeah. Queensland is that way. It, no, it's all private land. We hunt on for waterfowl. It's okay. it's all deeded land, you know. Okay. But it is illegal to uh, rent or lease or any kind of uh, bordering for for the rights to hunt on on anyone's land. It's a pure of a ask a farmer or and a handshake, you know, and. Uh, make sure you take care of the land like it's your own and uh, do a good job when you leave and uh, you know you're always welcome back but yeah in Alberta yeah we're, we're not allowed to do any is that, of that different so. in Saskatchewan do you know uh, because I, I, I always heard and again I'm not sure on I, I always heard that if you wanted to come up here and freestyle yeah 
it was like they couldn't really say no because it wasn't their land. It was the Queen's land, and and you just had you had to say yes, but as long as you respected it. No, that's North Dakota. I know you, there there's you can hunt any land over in North Dakota if it's not posted. It has to have a poster sign. Yeah. Now in here in Alberta, it it everything every land is considered posted, unless you got permission. So uh, you always gain permission, no matter what yeah, you're doing, whether you're hunting big games or, or the waterfowl. Uh, it's just our right, and it's the farmer's right to know, to have the ability to deny or, you know, agree to access. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the area, so I get, you know, I grew up with most of the farmers, and uh, which is a major benefit of, of being what I, doing what I do and, and having the access that we run. You know, we're, we're well over a million farmable acres that we get to hunt up here. And uh, we don't touch touch a tenth of it as far as what we do, but uh, the ground's big and the farmers are generally pretty generous. So we're pretty lucky that way. Yeah. So when you start getting ready for the season, are you working the ground? Are you just are you talking to the farmers all all, all the time? Are you oh, networking? Yeah. Is this a is this a year round business now to make sure that you're ready for all these clients yeah. to start coming north? Yeah, you're you, it's a year round situation. Uh we we are full time outfitter year round 12, 12 months a year with there you know, we're always dealing with landowners um whether it's whitetail, waterfowl, wolf and coyote, you know, um but yeah, it's year round. And you know, in the off seasons, I have no problem. I go out and give the farmers a hand if they need a hand, you know, running the combines, running the balers, running the grain trucks. It's something I grew up doing and I enjoy. So, but you're always, you're always looking at the next pea field or where's the barley field, or where's the roost, you know, and what's rounded. So you're always, you're always on the ground. Is it as far as, um, how often do they change their rotation? Fr- rotation, yeah. rotation, crop crop rotation up here is it's definitely they got it down to a science up here uh canola uh, barley wheat and uh, uh peas and it goes in a rotation every four years and uh it's just to put back the nutrients back in the ground the right way canola takes a lot of power out of your dirt up here peas put a lot of nitrate in your dirt so so that, that's why i was asking yeah. so you're talking to the farmers yes. like okay yeah. What schedule are you on? That's I know right. this field's going to be canola this year. I know yeah. this field's, and you can mark it out you that bet. way. And wheat is usually always um, followed, or sorry, canola is always followed by wheat, and then usually right after wheat, you got your peas, and uh, and then sometimes they'll go back and forth between wheat and and barley. But uh, yeah, they 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 follow suit like that every four years. Usually on the big scale of the big farmers, rotation is crucial. Yeah. Every cent that they put into the ground has to come back. Is what is your favorite crop to hunt? Not just favorite, but what do you see? Is it during colder? Do they go to the green fields or yellow fields? Or is it, what, what is it in your opinion that where they hit? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good conversation. Um, the peas right out at the door, you know, they, you can't beat them out of there with a stick. They just love them peas, high protein, high value. Um, and, and you'll run peas hard for the first couple of weeks. Generally what happens with those peas after the first couple of weeks of harvest um, they start to germinate. The seeds start to germinate on the ground, on the top of the soil. Once they get a little moist, uh, the the tea takes uh, the pea takes root and grows into a green sprout. At that point, the birds usually kind of back out of those pea fields. It's kind of already getting on the end side of things. And that being said, then they get into the wheat and oats and the barleys. And uh, but later season, this time of year, you'll find a lot of birds, a lot of geese, a lot of uh, ducks. They like that oat crop. They just love oat crops. And if you can get those back hidden oat crops, it's a, 
It's everybody in loves is our do oats have more oats protein got, nutrients or whatever than yeah. peas? No, no peas no. are your peas are your king. So that's it, power. I guess that's. I want more peas. Where are the peas? Yeah, <laughs> where are they? I didn't see any last year. Are there any around here this yeah, year? Yeah, absolutely. We shot. Or we got to go west. Shot a pea field yesterday. It was just an unbelievable. What shoot. are we shooting tomorrow? You're on the spot right now. We're Look shoot. at Joe's face. Look Ready? at Joe Mac's face real quick. <laughs> I want to. I want to ask you. You said something about. Peas. I mean, we'll go Hold back on, to, Joe. Wait. I want to know what we're hunting tomorrow. Okay, go ahead, Joe. I just want you. You said something there and. And, uh, and it goes back to hunting farther south is is the colder it gets, the more carbs the birds need you to bet. stay warm. Yeah. Do the oats contain more yes. carbs? Oats is a great product. Actually, what happens, my theory on the oats versus why the barley and wheat, you know, wheat and wheat, it doesn't get much better than wheat. Wheat's a very powerful grain. Um, but the thing about it is, is oat crops are usually a lot messier. So back to the same conversation we had a few minutes ago about quality of harvest, it's harder to clean an oat field to, so it's clean mm-hmm. versus a wheat field. You can pick a wheat field up and have a pretty good job. You usually, all the shaft, they cut and spread, so it covers up a lot of the grains as well, so it's harder to get to. Oat crops are usually getting all of the straws that are usually baled for bedding, and that leaves a lot of value on the ground, a lot of little oat pods everywhere. And those those geese and ducks just get in there and they have a feast. Isn't that cool about those animals? Yeah, that they they have a brain the size of eight of a pea. Yes, and they can tell what field is what and yeah. what they need to fly south. It unbelievable. It's, like that's and a can really fly over it five hundred feet or whatever and, and see that, something on the ground to go eat. That's yeah. what gets me. It's, it's awesome. like they can and smell it. And we think it. we're hiding from them. Yeah, because <laughs> you'll never, you will never see a bird in a cut canola field and a cut canola field from a distance other than the fact that you see the stubble but from the air it all looks the same value um but they uh they can tell that's a they can tell that's a, a, a rape field versus a pea field and it looks the same color so how do they determine that I, it, i've never seen a bird land in a canola field so good good point up there so their vision very good vision and what if it's a, what if they can smell it right yeah yeah, but if they, if they could smell, they would, you would never kill one. That's right. Because they never, all come in downwind. That's right. Every time. And if somebody had right? bad gas. I mean, which, <laughs> which brings up another good point that I've always tried to figure out, and I can't, I can't put a pin on it, is, is wind direction and rows of cornfields with the wind blowing with the rows or wind blowing across the rows, which do the birds like certain fields better than others because of trying to get into them? Uh, it, I would it, say for sure. I think that the the path of less resistance is what they want. So you think that when winds blowing with the rows, parallel to the rows, that you're more apt to get birds to work in a field in a cornfield than you are on in a high stubble field. You know what? I'm not going to sit here and act like I know how to answer that question. I I don't know if I've ever thought about it that deep. I I just always have said in dry fields, if I could get somewhere where they are, or in between where they're coming from and where they want to be. I've always had confidence that you could get them as long as you had, you know, kind of had an idea of concealment and hiding and, and set up and calling. And I honestly think that in cornfields, obviously you need flash, you need spinners. I really do. I think in dry fields, you have to have spinners. Now mm-hmm. I'm not saying up here that if you set out 40 dozen or 20 dozen big, you know, full body goose decoys, you're going to have mallards or, or some kind of puddle duck work your decoy spread, especially early Absolutely. in the morning, especially yeah. early in the morning. But when that sun comes up and you were looking at them high mallards today, you want to draw, they're them not going to draw them in on a goose spread 
like they do on those spinners in a dry field. My friend Dave Stanley says, well, you use a spinner in Canada because the fields are so big, you want them to pinpoint where you're at. And I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, but they still finish on top of those mojos. Oh, every time. They truly do. And even every in the States, time. if you don't have a mojo or multiple mojos in a dry field, you're not killing them. Unless you're really, really lucky. Yeah. Joe, were you talking a, of a cor cor cut cornfield or standing cornfield? Oh, cut cornfield. Okay. I don't know, when Joe. You, when, I you mean, high, when you got high stubble, it Do you think like, it's when they're well, blowing I, parallel? I, I, I can't figure it out, but I mean, I know sometimes if the wind, you can, you'll see birds in a field. If the wind is blowing one direction, if the wind changes, they'll change fields. It's just weird because... And I don't know whether it's because of the rows. I, uh, I mean, it's, much, it's obviously much easier to land with the rows than it that's is. That's what I'm saying. Them. That's uh, they have a lot more landing with them. So I, I, just talking about it, this is the first time I ever thought about it. That I would say that would be the case because if it's especially a hard wind, they need a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, they have to basically they have to come in in helicopter if they're going yeah. against the rows, and it's harder for them to take off if something gets in them. You mm -hmm. know, they, uh, that's that, a good question, man. You're smart. <laughs> no. No, not at all. I just I have way too much time to think about this stuff. Yeah, but you have a lot of time to think about it because you made a you made a good living because you're smart. So now all you do is sit there and think about ducks or fish in Florida <laughs> or which one of your boats you're going to use to find those. Fish. If I had if but if I had to decide whether I was going to worry about how I was going to eat or whether how I was going to kill ducks, I'd probably choose the ducks. So. I know. <laughs> and so you talked in the blind this morning. You were talking about you're leaving here to go fishing, right? Correct. You're going down to Florida. Correct. What's your passion? Fishing or hunting? Oh, God, yeah, you're not even close. Oh, I mallards. Probably hunting. The hunting, but you just, I mean, it's, it's, you know, this, this brings a whole new dimension to the hunting. I mean, this is cool. I like it up here. Um, uh, you know, but what is this for? I mean, for you guys that you get to do it, what, 75 days a year, 90 days a year, maybe max. So that leaves a whole lot of time that you have to find something else to, to <laughs> occupy, occupy yourself. Offshore. So clay offshore you, fishes, you know, clay goes down Louisiana yeah. and Florida. Yeah, I love it. I'm addicted to it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I go with people that do. Well, I don't. I don't know that much about the offshore fishing. I used to do a lot of freshwater, and and I've got I've got kind of addicted to the to the, the saltwater fishing, and I really enjoy it. It's uh, it's cool. I mean, it you know, it's just like waterfowl hunting. You every time you go, you learn something new. You learn a new trick. You learn something that the, you didn't know the fish did or the ducks did, or and you just you know, it's it's there's a lot of knowledge to absorb there that you just, I don't know. I want to know that stuff. Yeah. I want to ask you guys about what we talked about today. I want to talk a couple things about the straps we were using today in the blind and what we were trying to accomplish with that. And then I want to talk a little bit about gear and how important it is to a waterfowler and what do you need to be successful? What are the necessities and do most waterfowlers go overboard with what they hunt with? Or do, is it addicting to the point to where we want to buy every, you know, trap that's out there to try to trick them, to have the best boat, to have the best motor, the best shotgun, the best camo, the best clothing, the best insulation, the best eyewear, the best, well, you know what I mean? It's like, is there something that you can get by with? And the reason I ask is that my man over here today was wearing 1986 Chris Ledoux Signature Series Wranglers in a black hoodie. And we were all in thousands of dollars of, you know, all this rainproof, windproof insulation that would keep an Eskimo warm, you know, in, in the coldest conditions up Maybe there. Maybe he's a lot tougher than we are. Sounds like a real well, cool guy. <laughs> well, in, 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 a, in today's 
I mean, if you were to do that laying out in a corn stubble, he couldn't get away with that. Absolutely right? not. So in today's hide, sun behind us, and we could have been dressed in pink tutus, yep. and no one would have seen us. Yeah, I mean, to enjoy the sport, you have to be warm. You have to be dry. Yep. I mean, if you're cold and wet, there's nothing more miserable. I don't care if you're killing birds or you're not killing birds. You, if you're miserable, you just are not having fun. No. No, you need, you need, you, you know, what makes a hunt successful and, and, or, or your hunt successful and, and to be in good in the field, you need the number one thing out there in my eyes is to drive to do it. Um, and willing not to cut corners. There's things you can do, you can get away with, but knowing what you can get away with and trying to cut corners is two different things. Certain things work, certain things are a must. You know, you can get away with sometimes, you, you know, not having the decoys in the right direction, the right place, the right setup but your hide at this time of year right now so for us example in our business right now you know when we have a, a guide meeting every day it the number one thing we talk about it's the hide okay that hide is is what makes your hunt right now if you don't got a good hide if you can't get concealed up against a fence line a tree row a rock pile a grass grass ridge um your hunt i don't care how good a goose collar you are i don't care what gear you got you're gonna work to kill birds um, you could cut corners using half the decoys, half the quality of decoys. As long as you get tucked in tight and, and disappear, your hunt's going to be a lot better. So you're saying that all the birds we killed this morning when you were in your Wranglers and your black sweatshirt wasn't because Chad is a good caller? What well, about just Chad, huh? Oh, yeah, just Chad, huh? Huh? <laughs> uh, I forgot. Chad and Clay are good callers. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I was sitting next to Chad, and that's what he told me. He said, watch this, I'm going to call these birds. Oh, yeah. okay. Several yeah. times. Huh? From, yeah. from a thousand feet above us, and guess what? And he they said, regardless of what Clay is wearing, they he said, you know. I, it's on record multiple times. You can go back and find me saying that it's mainly the location and the mojos that do it in an instant like today. But there was times backtrack. when we were backtrack. losing them. We were losing them today. <laughs> We were losing them today, and oh, hey, listen, I will. And you're looking at him like, take oh my, my hat off over water duck calling. I'll tell you what, you can't do it without a duck call with another rig set up not too far from us, and they that's have every ride. It's Thanksgiving absolutely. weekend, which tomorrow is Thanksgiving absolutely. dinner. Absolutely, tomorrow is Thanksgiving why, dinner in Canada. Those other guys, I think, is the only reason we lost any birds today. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, were, the they were frustrated. They they were sky busting, yeah. and I don't like that. We were killing birds. I don't like we that. were selective like shooting. Searches. We were shooting. Pure green heads, multiple times, Clay and myself stood up with 50 ducks 20 feet away from us, winged out, legs down, and we looked at each other, and our fingers are still behind the safety uh, because yeah, we were I was like, brown ducks. I, I, was, ducks. I was running a new dog. You know? So, like so on the first four shoot. flocks, I'd work them with the call, and then I'd just pay attention to Duff. And when I'd say get him, I'd be watching him, not breaking, making sure his eyes are right. on him. And then I'd look up, and I'm like, what ducks the heck? Because <laughs> there'd be like 40 in the hole, and then there'd be two dead on the yeah. water. Yeah. And I don't know if y'all are colorblind or no, if there weren't enough bell peppers around there. Well, or... we were just having a gentleman hunt this morning on, you know, and doing it Who's the right the way. And, and uh, well, Clay and myself, yeah. of course, but, uh, you know. Why, I have and, two questions. So are duck hunters crazy about the gear they use, Clay? And here's yes. where I'm going with this. I have a reason behind this. You guys kill them like they're going out of style up here, and you're wearing freaking Wranglers with chicken wire blinds, which I'm, I'm saying yeah, it's a badass no, blind. No, that's right. But Americans are down there, and we're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on every nook and cranny that you could possibly, or in every nook and cranny that you could possibly look in. 
oh my God, what do I need here? This is yeah. a new decoy that has a train track and it runs around the train track and it kicks up water. This one spits water. <laughs> this one, this one's a shell. This one's a full body. This one's a floater. This one's got a different keel. This boat does this. This motor does right. this. This shotgun. Am I right, Joe? I mean, you've been, no, do, you, you've been buying hunting gear for a lot of years. Do we need it? Or is it, are we pulling the wool over our own eyes? Are these manufacturers pulling the wool? I love it. We're in the manufacturing business. I feel that we build the best comfortable gear on the market to stay comfortable and dry. I know that there's a lot of great gear out there. I'm not saying the other stuff isn't good. I'm just saying I think Bandit's great. I think the Benelli is the best shotgun made. But could you kill them with other guns? Heck yeah, you can. But reliability, time in, time out, squeezing that trigger three times and hearing it go off, boom, 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 and seeing the results, I feel the Benelli's the best. There's a... I think it's obvious they are because everybody wants a Benelli. But, Left-handed but Benelli. we are, are. Are we a little bit crazy about the gear that we want all the time, Joe? It's, yeah, absolutely. But we're also crazy about the cars we drive. We're crazy, right. we're crazy about the beer we drink. We're deer crazy. hunters have a bow and some blaze orange vests. It's a, no, you know what? Yeah, but, uh, no. But no, you're no, absolutely sure. wrong. No, yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely wrong. wrong. The you what else do they have? They're just, they're just like duck you. hunters. They got to have. Come on. They, yeah. they got to have everything. Everything. I mean, nowadays, you're, you're wrong about that. I mean, deer hunters are the same way. I mean, oh, it's just you got to have this stand. You got to have this. You got to have that. Gotta, it's like it's like going fishing, for example. The prime example of what Chad has been talking about. It's like going fishing. The fish didn't bite yesterday, and the fish didn't bite the day before. And you spent the whole entire days on the lake working your butt off to catch a fish. And you walk in the gas station, and there's a hook on the wall, and you're like, oh, I need that hook. You buy that hook, and you can't even sleep all night because you're like that hook's going to catch me fish. Mm -hmm. That hook's going, and you oh, yeah. spend the next three days on the lake trying to catch a dang fish and you're still not catching one. It's the point of having what your gear does to you in the field. It gives you that sense of this is going to happen. I'm going to get them. Uh, and, so you're you saying know, manufacturers are pulling the wool over that they can make that hook look like it might catch a fish. You it, buy it, you lose sleep over it. It never catches a fish. So you go in there and buy the next. That's right. Thing. If it looks good to you, that's all that matters. So shelf, shelf it's shelf appeal. You know what I mean? Um, that's is that what your, it is? Same with your duck calls. Same your goose well, no. calls. It's the same There's, thing. It's the same thing in the charter fishing business is exactly what Clay just said. I mean, we down where my boat is in the Keys, all these boats are lined up. Well, my boat's sitting there. It's a 39-foot yellowfin. It's got triple 350 Mercury's on it, and it's Gee. bright blue, and it's got a big tower, and na 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 na. And people who know nothing about fishing walk down the dock and go, that boat's cool. I want a fish out of it. Mm -hmm. And are you going to catch any more fish out of that boat than you mm -hmm. do the one that is sitting next to it? No. Nope. It's... did. Because it's the same as duck hunting. Did we go to the right pea field? Yeah. Did we go to this place? Did we go that place? But that's the one they want because yeah. they like the looks of it. Well, what about a, what about a gun then? Well, so I, I think a gun. I think a gun a lot is of preference too. I think a gun is all fit. Eye candy. I think if a gun fits fit, you, that's right. I think if a gun fits you, it's like, it's like shooting the Benelli's this morning. I picked up the. That was the first time I ever picked up your gun and shot it, and appreciate you bringing it up here. But I pulled that gun up to my shoulder, and I can't Felt tell you. you that I put that high-vis sight on the bird. I pulled it up, and it fit, and you pulled the trigger, and stuff fell out of the sky. I mean, you've had that discussion before. If the gun fits, and that's right. It, it, then that's the gun for you. Now, Benelli's, so I've got to step in and say, I mean, we get a lot of guns through my lodge over the year. I mean, we run a lot of hunters. Um, but there ain't nothing that shoulders like a Benelli. I mean, they shoulder... 
Like well, and they cycle. Your finger. They cycle everything. I mean, yeah. even if your gun fits and you pull the trigger and you only get one shot, that's one thing. But if the gun fits and you pull the trigger shot. and every time it goes boom, then. Well, that's it, what I was going down when you were talking about fishing. I was going to say if they go down the line and one boat looks like it, you know, it's got a hole in it and the motor don't start. Yeah, you might catch a fish out of there in the ocean. But to get back to that dock safely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have. You, why not have yeah, the best I of mean, the best that you can have afford? And going back to the gear. Uh, your question as those ducks come down the flyway theoretically they're smarter so the say the stuff that you might get away with up here not because the ducks are dumb but they might have not oh, seen absolutely. all the same decoys in the in the mojos and it's the first time they've seen it mm-hmm. since Good you know point. last year but absolutely. as they work down the the flyway you might need better equipment well and it boils down to you can't afford to miss opportunities. If the birds are there and you have an equipment malfunction or you don't have enough decoys or you don't have something and the opportunities there, you can't waste that opportunity. So do you think, you mentioned high vis before and a lot of the Benelli's come equipped with a high vis, Mm -hmm. but the gun fits well, but do you, I think that those sites are, exactly what a duck hunter needs mainly because of all of the different lighting you know conditions that we're shooting or hunting in trying to pick out our target trying to stay on our target try to transition from the one your first target to the second to the third target i agree i agree completely my point with what i said was is though i i just do it i know i i know i'm using that site i know that i'm looking at that site but do i does my mind recognize the fact that, oh, I have to pull the gun up and, oh, I have to put the dot on the bird and no, you just, after you do it enough, you, you just pull up and it's there, the gun fits and the sights where it's supposed to be. Am and I, you pull the trigger and it just happens. I yeah. mean, it just, it, you know, I'm not saying you're going to hit every bird that you shoot at with or without a high vis, but it, it enhances the situation to the point where it makes it a lot easier and you don't have to think about it. That's what they do, is that it's instinctual. High vis lets you become instinctual because you throw it up and it, you spot it so quick, it's your, almost like you're not even looking for the sight. Your, brain, recognize, your right. brain recognizes, oh, that's there. Right, exactly. It's just, that's I need to put, put this on that and you, it's just a natural thing. You that, that's why I say you don't pr- have to think about it. You just pull it up and everything is there and you just, boom. yeah, I'm ready, boom. Yeah, if it's not there, do people spend the time, you know, kind of squint at that? Where's that end, you know, where's that end dot? Do I get there? Well, the old shotguns that, you know, you should shot. I mean, the old, older brands, uh, you know, that have been around a thousand years or whatever. I mean, they used to come with a big dot on the end and a little dot in the middle. And like, so am I supposed to line these dots up? The, yeah, or? that's the point where you're, you're thinking of. Yeah. How do I line up to the shot where right. these allow you just to come up and it's there? It's, your brain automatically does it, and you're you're shooting them. So right. Clay, what do you think? You you were shooting a high vis today on that Benelli that you of my left-handed Benelli, which it better end up back in that Liberty safe in the trailer, or Maybe. we're gonna have a, a little fight. We're like, because Huck and I are fighting tonight already in these Jack Links hockey well, jerseys. Some, somebody's gotta take on the winner. Okay. Clay, so were, both of, were both of those guns have the same paint scheme on them? Um, no. no. Mine had a different one than yours, but... Uh, no, 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 I wasn't using the left-handed one, but I'm just no, wanting didn't. to make sure that... No, I know which one he had. <laughs> yeah. He's going back in. Um, Go for the one that looks like a wood grain thing. Yeah, that's, that's, what, I'm, yeah, that's, that's what I'm No, taking. that's the Foul Life Edition. That's what I'm taking, the Foul Life Edition. I've been a sp- long-time sponsor of Foul Life for multiple years. So um, back to the, the bead on, this, on the guns. I didn't want to step on anybody when they are talking about it, but I've been shooting shotgun a long time in my life, and I don't even have a bead on my shotgun. And it's an all natural looking down the barrel kind of deal. That being said, 
I shot the left-handed Black Eagle today, the, uh, the Black Eagle 3, with uh, that new, uh, whatever color that is, it's a fluorescent green, I guess it would be, uh, bead on it, and it was like, there was, it was a whole nother level of shooting as far as I, I had something to look at, and I right. haven't had a bead on my shotgun forever. You know, so I thought it interesting. Did you think about it or when you threw that high vis up, it was just boom, it was there and you looked right over it? Actually, the first time I looked down the barrel when I was looking at them ducks, I was like, what the heck is that thing? It's glowing right there, right? So, I mean, it made it right now for my eyes to pick up where I was looking and right to the duck. The ducks were only 15 feet away, but made it challenging for some people, right, Clay? But, I mean, <laughs> some of us had no problem at all. But Wow. Um, hey, hey, at least I don't wear a onesie. <laughs> I love my onesies. <laughs> Joe, Joe oh, wears a onesie. If it you says Howie Hansen, yeah, but mine doesn't have a, a butt flap like Clay's. <laughs> really? That's right. No, no butt flap. I would have a butt flap hey, for sure. You, you, yeah, you, need, you need to have you, a butt flap with your onesie. You don't live in Alberta without a flap on your onesie. Really? No, yeah. Got to get out in that bush quick. Well, you got about three layers of onion you got to peel off you before you do anything to start and it's cold. You need a butt flap. You maybe that need, last one. You, you might don't be more selective on what you eat before yeah. you go hunting. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. So no gumbo. Hey, I want to bring something up while you... While well, I just had one more question. Okay. Can you hold it? Just Clay Belding is when you've been shooting high vis as long as I have. We've been with them eight or nine years and it's one of those things to where... When I'm shooting sporting clays, I really saw it in Nashville last week, is that I, when, I, when I don't have it, I want it. And when I have it, I don't know I have it. Does that make sense? It's almost like I'm just shooting so fluent with it that when I was shooting that sporting clays turn, Benelli shipped in a gun for me and it didn't have the, the, the sight that I'm used to, I was like, man, I could really tell a difference in the way. And I'm not saying I'm not hitting them. I hit... I think I shot 79 targets out of 100, which sucks. But I wasn't feeling that fluency, you know, that fluency of just pick up the gun, swing it, squeeze it. I, I honestly think that I've become so accustomed to shooting that sight with the high vis that when I, I miss it when it's there, and when it's there, I don't know I have it. That's that just that's what I said. You you get you just pull it up. Yeah. It's there, it's and you there. don't. It makes it. You don't have to think about it. I mean, he was talking about he. You know, you were talking about shooting sporting clays and stuff, and and you pull it. You pulled up and the high vis wasn't there. Well, you thought about it because it wasn't there, but when it was there, you don't have to think about it. You just, you just instinctively put it on what you're going to shoot and you pull the trigger and it happens. I mean, if it's not there, then you think something's missing in this equation. Something's and, wrong. Yeah, something's yeah, something's wrong. wrong. And your mind's thinking about that versus what your intended exact goal is. Yeah. Is you can't miss it if it's not there. But let's not. But think about though that 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 light. If if you're shooting in a low light condition or early morning or when the sun's going down, shooting hours are almost up. That has a lot of different applications with that site. You can pick that site up in a hurry. And what I love about it is that I truly feel that it lets you move to your next target with greater ease. And that's very important in waterfowl hunting. It doesn't let you get to the point to where you're like figuring out, hey, well, how am I going to get to my next target? It's you squeeze it and then you just move on because you're following that site. Well, okay, I'm going to ask you a question that has to do with what you're talking about a high, with your high visitor. Majority of the birds that we shot today were coming down or coming at us, correct? Yes. Okay. The, I made a shot on a, a long bird this morning that was... You bet. was coming, 40, off, 40, coming 40, 40, off the water. Going away on an angle. And I didn't even think, well, let's see. Now, is that bird coming up or is that bird going down or is that bird going left? Reacted. I just reacted. I put, pulled it up, put the high vis on him, pulled the trigger, and he fell. And you dishragged him. So, bottom line, 62 years old... You shot a gun today that you've never shot. Uh -huh. After shooting that sight a few trigger pulls with a duck hunt today, 
first duck hunt of the season for you, as a matter of fact, myself too. Is it something that you believe in or is it like, ah, I'll shoot it, take it or leave it. But is that something that you're like, yes, I like that aftermarket high vis site to where I can pick it up, get on target, stay on target, transition to my second and third target a lot easier. I have four guns at home right now with high vis sights on. So yeah, I yeah. like it. See, look at that. You supporter of the foul life partners. I love you, Joe Mack. I really mean that. Even though I don't get invited to Indianapolis unless I invite myself. Well, there's a reason for that. But. <laughs> well, now that he's met me, I'm pretty sure I'm getting an invite. Yeah. No. No, Clay, Clay's coming and bringing the kids to Florida. So, I mean, yeah. you, We're what, going what weekend did you say he'd be busy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how usually things Eastern work. Shore, Maryland. Chad's <laughs> network gets exploited again. Eastern Shore, Maryland. He's doing the MC for no, the World right. Goose yeah, coming up. Yeah, I've seen that. Good for you, Chad. So we're, Isn't that kind of yeah, cool? Yeah, i kind of seen that. Sorry. I want to say something about duff okay oh yeah that's yeah. a good point we haven't talked about today i think we saw i think we saw duff being born for a second time today because yeah. when the first time the birds hit the water this morning boy he didn't duff was like okay what am i supposed to do okay tail was kind of dragging i mean just low not a real confident stance you were sending him out to get birds you know we were we were throwing some things out there to get his attention and stuff uh as the day went on Duff's tail was wagging. Pepping the step. Duff, you know, the birds would fall, and Duff was like, I'll get that one, I'll get that one. I mean, he just, his confidence, like, right. skyrocketed When he figured today. it out, he got that taste the, of those the feathers. Genes, like, all of a sudden, the, one of those birds tasted or smelled or something the way that the genes in him said, hey, this is what I was made for. Yeah, yeah and was, I know how hard he works in training sessions, and I, and I didn't want to get to the point to where you get impatient because we get spoiled. Like, Brad Arrington flies in here tonight. He's bringing Axel. Axel's a master hunter. He's, uh, you know, he's going to have his, he's going to have every accreditation there is in the sporting dog world. And he'll go out there tomorrow and he'll shine. Well, Duff doesn't have that high level of training yet. He's a younger dog. He has a very good start. But I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of him because all those times we've been spending just on the, out on the, you know, in the dry fields or in the ponds around home. And I didn't train him. One of my buddies did and got him to where he is. But I just was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on him a bunch today. I know that this is his first time. I just want him to swim a bunch and get a bunch of that taste in his mouth, those feathers in his mouth. And you're right, Joe, like as he started to go on his fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, he had, he probably had 20 retrieves today. And at the end there, he was like, give me more. And the water was just a little too cold. That's what I was going to say. And now he's passed out. For his first, first, first hunt not to be in early september warm water you know nice and ease into it he's up here where that water was frozen right above yesterday. freezing right, right above his so, whole nose was just ice when he yeah. went out of the water it first time fast. and the first time with a, a vest on yeah so that was new he was running around like he was drunk this morning yeah. when we put it on him yeah um clay, like, clay or duff <laughs> i thought you put the onesie on <laughs> I, I was at a hunt test one time i had a, an old dog his name was Jack, and, and when I got involved into the, the dog stuff, Jack was a pretty old guy, and I had hunted with him for a number of years, and he had no formal training per se or whatever, and I took him to a hunt test and was running him, you know, and, and Jack was like, he went everywhere like in, in slow motion all the time, all the time, all the time. Well, he went through, we went through a hunt test, and he did well. It was up in northern Indiana, and uh, I was walking him back to the truck, and some guy was there, and the guy said something to me I'll never forget. I said, I said, boy, did you ever see a dog go any slower than that? And the guy looked at me. He goes, does he go get your ducks for you? And I said, yeah. He goes, what else you want him to do? And I thought, there we go. That's the answer to that question right there. Yeah. You shoot something, he goes and gets it brings it back. That's a great point. And you, you've been around some high-powered dogs. 
Yeah, yeah, I have. I've seen some good ones. So have I. And that's what I love about it is that you just got to get, you got to be like, you know, this is kind of like, has he had the training that Axel has or like, or, or, or what Mo had one of our other dogs and, and he has it. And that's what I was saying is that, Hey, he's out there doing it and he's loving it. And, and to hear your credit, you know, like what you were saying and your guys are pumping him up. You always kind of feel like, man, I don't want this to be a nuisance. I don't want this dog to be hampering in the hunt. And he didn't, he was out there and he was working his butt off. He got a lot of retrieves and it wasn't like we were out there forever. I mean, it's, he's, he's nowhere near where he needs to be, but he's on, he's got a good start. And today was a great day, even though it's kind of like, you don't want to take your kid out hunting and say, hey, we're going to get you into duck hunting. And then it's 19 degrees hmm. and he's wet and there's no ducks, even though there's a lot, of, you know, it's like, you got to build that confidence in on that first one. And that was a tough confidence builder today. And Duff came through it and he passed out. He ate a, he ate two cups of Yukonuba and passed out. He got up on that bed and just went to sleep. And you don't want, I'm just like you're no. saying with a kid, with a dog, you not overwork him and you don't want him to be unsuccessful. So I would suggest with with a dog like that with a new dog if it's a slow day you know he got a lot of action today. absolutely you don't want that if it's his first hunt i've had a dog get ruined yeah first too first much. day they're sitting there you can go too much either way but if yeah. it's a slow day go put him in the car yeah don't let him get used to, to being be out there miserable wet cold lonely do, bored off right. his you know sitting there doing nothing today was a, a good day to to get somebody a kid or a new dog into it because there's a lot of action he had a lot of fun it may be a little cold but he figured that out it was fine yeah, he did awesome. and and then he once did we best. we said okay he is cold we went and put him in the truck because he was successful yeah. and he did you know he didn't want to you don't want to associate that cold miserable stuff with anything else Keep it positive. be successful go in the truck be good and so if it's a bad versus like i started it if it's a bad day go put him in the truck on a new dog and Duff has a great attitude. I mean, he's kind of a laid-back dog. And um, some of these dogs, you mentioned Brad, and I've, I've never been around any of Brad's dogs, but I'm going to tell you, I've seen dogs. some of these dogs that... Too the, hyper. Oh, these high-powered uh, hunt test dogs. Man, you can't... It's, it's, it's like trying to hold on to a fire-breathing dragon to keep him calm down to hunt with him. You know, Duff, you, when, we, when we were taking time out to do TV stuff and and uh, record stuff today and set things up duff was cool he just sit down there at the end of the blind and he was relaxed and chilled and then when it come time to go get a bird he went and got it he's a good dog yeah, yeah and that's cool because i i have his brother i was telling you the day i have uh duff's brother waylon and he got his first duck last year with my boy on his first duck so my boy at seven shot his first duck and waylon or waylon duff's brother got his first retrieve last year and so it was yeah. really cool. And in the same kind of demeanor. And yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a lot right there. I mean, you know, no, he did awesome. And <clears throat> I don't, we have a lot of stuff going on up here and we have the crystals back and we are going to get a duck recipe going tonight with the mallards we killed today, showing people that you don't have to hang them. You don't have to marinate them. You, you know, we just got them in a little salt water right now, getting that blood out of them. Clay, you've had the duck, right? You Come on. It is. It Last is year I have good. it on filet mignon. Listen, like, we, mm -hmm. we went up against some high-end uh, cuisine one time with this duck recipe, and I'll tell you what, there was a bunch of people eating crow at the end of the Smack night. Down. I, yeah. I edited that, uh, me or Tyson, I remember, but the Cajun you're talking about, right? Yes, sir. And everybody pick chad's duck and he yeah. says you like the boiled, boiled duck, duck? Well, i'm telling How you gonna pick the boiled duck over the, i mean they cooked it five stage five course like 
yeah. very authentic Cajun meal. And I came in here with onion buns and this freaking recipe. And they're like, it's very simple. And, and all the judges are like, we're run. going with that sandwich. Right yeah, there. <laughs> it was a home run. So, hey, Clay, real quick, take them outfitters. Give everybody the way that they can contact you guys, girls. Um, if you want to get in the field early, as, as early as September September 10th, September 1st, somewhere in there, all the way through the end of October. Call Clay. His wife is an amazing asset to his crew. His kids are awesome. Huck is unbelievable. Earl the Pearl. He loves to drink the red and whites, the strawberries, the whole crew up here in Alberta. We've become family. Clay and Crystal actually come to our pad down in Nevada every year in the summer, sit by the pool, go to the casinos. Clay lost about, what, 18 bucks and you quit this year? (laughs) (laughs) I'm out. I'm out. But anyway, come up here. Take them outfitters. Is it take them outfitters dot sas? How do you, com. Dot com. They have dot com in Canada. Take them outfitters dot com. Ah, yeah. Take them outfitters dot com. Is that the best way to reach you? Or is there a phone number too? My, I could, if you go and look it up online, take them outfitters dot com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and uh, my website, of course, and uh, my cell phone numbers on everywhere. It's seven eight zero two zero seven zero six eight eight, or just give chat a call. And I want you guys to pay attention to the episodes that just aired on season 11 of The Foul Life and how he, we're going to hunt with some of his dogs this week. And they don't say anything except, that'll do. That'll do. That'll do. That's what he says to his dog. When he's done retrieving, they'll just be like, that'll do. And that dog will stop. He'll take the duck out of his mouth, send him on another one and come back. That'll do. Wait till you see it. It's freaking funny. And he trains all of his dogs with that'll do. That'll do. That'll do. Today's episode of the Foul Life <laughs> Podcast was brought to you by our friends and family at Realtree Outdoors, Realtree Family of Brands, and Realtree Brand Camo. Check out the new timber pattern. We still truly believe in the Max 5. They got the new edge for turkey and whitetail. The best camouflage on the market, the Realtree Family of Brands, Realtree Brand Camo. Thank you for all of your support going into our 19th year with Realtree Brand Camo since 2000. 2001 we've been with Realtree and today's episode was also brought to you by High Vis Shooting Systems which we talked about on the podcast today get one of their LED pipe sights LED sights on your shotgun on your pistol they have a ton of different applications a ton of different options but take them out practice pattern your shotgun whether it's turkey season duck season dove season quail season pheasant season whatever it is they help you pick up your target they help you stay on your target and they help you transition to your second your third, however many targets you're trying to transition to. And last but not least, today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast was brought to you by Clay and Crystal Charlton at Take Em Outfitters up in the great province of Alberta, Canada. Thank you guys so much for all of your support of the Foul Life Podcast, the Foul Life Television, all of our sponsors and partners. Please support them. Support the ones that support us. You can check us out at thefowllifetv.com at the, or no, at thefowllife.com or at thefowllifetv on Instagram and Facebook all new merchandise available in our online store right now and brand new episodes of the foul life airing right now exclusively on the outdoor channel check us out this week as we're in arkansas at the jargon duck call shop learning how to make that small talk that loud mouth that icebreaker speak that specialized vocabulary to the wild duck thank you all so much for your support tom rashishin our great producer please hit that button and play 2 a.m logic my foul life thank you everybody Yeah.